Welcome to the Business Design Podcast. I'm Dr. Kent. And I'm Randy Baker. And on this episode of the Business Design Podcast, we've traveled far afield once more, going all the way to Bermuda, you know, where the triangle is. Right. So we're we're actually, uh, in this interview, just drowning in insights. Uh, Wouldn't you say, Randy? Just just absolutely swimming in yeah, some, some of them actually knocked me on my back. I, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I mean, like a hurricane, just, just a, a hurricane coming, the waves, you know. So we, we talked to Andrew McConnell, who turns out swam seven kilometers in the ocean a day in advance of a hurricane today. Um, and it would be great if that was all we talked about, because I, I, I was kind of tempted to talk with him about that for about an hour. But we actually... Yeah talk to him about his startup he went really deep into philosophy yeah this was a great chat so let's just go straight to it i think you're going to really enjoy this one nice to see you andrew so uh i think i came in late on the pre-discussion here i'd I'd love to hear did i hear bermuda that waves blue skies uh sand Cabanas, what, what what was I hearing? Bananas? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bananas, <laughs> the Bermuda bananas are delicious. The pink sand beaches, uh, pink house, we're right on a pink house on the water. But yeah, we, we originally came for a month to see my in-laws who are in the UK. We weren't able to visit each other and then liked it so much we took advantage of their digital nomad program. So we've been here uh, for a while now. Very cool. And what makes, um, gosh, what makes it different there than... Uh, anywhere else in the world right now? Before recently, it it was far more open. We felt safer uh, than in Georgia, the very low vaccination rate. A lot of the teachers, my daughter is five, and so as the children who couldn't get vaccinated were starting to suffer, we just felt safer being here. We got vaccinated here, uh, and so put our daughter in school here. But that, and then I was uh, an open water swimmer in college and high school and stuff for the U.S. national team. And so literally the house being on the water, I walked on the steps and you know, go swim 6K this morning. Uh, so that, that's very different than what I have in Atlanta where I, I'm not on the Atlantic Ocean right in my doorstep. You swam six kilometers this morning? Yeah, maybe a little more. Maybe, yeah. But How do you clock it? Do you, do you, is it like your Apple Watch? Or? I kind of Google map. I just swam to the end of the island. So we're kind of in the middle and I swam out to Spanish Point this morning and back. So... That sport is insane. Um, I like just just as far as you know, I've I've seen it. Um, there's a lot of sort of like contact under the water and long distances and crazy seas. And so let's start there. That's that's insane. So you're an insane guy. <laughs> it's I mean it's a little safer here than some places. There there are not many sharks around Bermuda. You're kind of inside the reef, but. Yes, I mean, I swim, we have a hurricane supposedly hitting tomorrow, right? And so I just still hop in the water and swim regardless of kind of the size of the waves. Um, it's just a lot harder when, when there are a lot of waves. So what is it like swimming in the waves? So you're, I assume you have kind of a different equilibrium than other swimmers? You just kind of have to read it. So kind of where you are in the tempo and the cadence of the wave, adjust your breathing to it so you're not just inhaling a bunch of water. Um, but yeah, to me, it, a lot of people freak out in open water, 
and I guess there could be reasons, but if you're confident enough that you know how to stay on top of the water and you're like, I can just kind of sit this out and roll on my back until things calm down and figure out how to get into shore. That's what I've really been teaching my daughter since she was kind of three or four of just roll on your back, stay calm, get your breath back, get your heart rate down, and then you can roll over and try to figure stuff out. But just first is, is back to you're saying that equilibrium, get, get back to your safe place and then go revisit it. So what did a guy like you with an insane habit and almost, you know, profession level ability to swim in open water end up in kind of a boring day job comparatively? I mean, entrepreneurship is kind of dangerous for most people, but for you, it's like a piece of cake. It's, it's, I, I mean, I don't think for anybody, is it a piece of cake, you're right? Every day you're having to figure out new stuff because you're, you're building and solving entirely new problems. As a, a friend and mentor, uh, KP Reddy said, hey, if it was easy, the big companies would already done it. And so everything you're trying to do, almost by definition, the, the only reason the opportunity exists is because it hasn't been figured out yet. And so I, I would definitely say that the day job is not boring, right? Like, what is the new unlock for the product? What is the new unlock for growing the, the sales pipeline and marketing? And, and it's constantly testing what's working, what's not, so that when you pull your head up, you're not figuratively breathing in a mouthful of water, right? Like it, it's, there's that kind of parallel of you're in a choppy sea the whole time. And so you have to read this ocean that I can't control at all. The this, this sea of the market is way bigger than me. It's way beyond me. How do I adapt myself to become one with it and you know, make sure that I can get to the ultimate destination I'm trying to get to. So now we know why CEOs have sofas in their office so yeah. that they can roll onto their back, catch their breath, <laughs> yeah, exactly. figure out what to do and then get to it. So really it's, there, there is a, a correlation between what you do as CEO of a startup and, and your hobby uh, as a swimmer. Both of them are for the long term. They're they're not short sprints. It's you got to you got to get to the end. So you were talking about a cadence in your swimming. Is there a cadence in your business? There absolutely is. I mean, at, at many different levels, right? So you have all the way at the the highest level, maybe the annual strategic planning, annual financial reporting, and taxes. You have quarterly board meetings. We have a monthly cadence we have uh, within each week my one-on-ones or the team meeting cadence or subgroup cadence and so it's it, to me you can't really control what's going on if you can't control your time right your time is your most finite resource your time in your mind and so really thinking about your calendar as a budget and doing zero-based budgeting on that so what I have is each quarter I revisit what percent of my life do I want at sleep, at work, at exercise with my family, and then I double click on the work and say, okay, of this portion going into work, how much it is heads down me working by myself time, how much is going to my direct team, how much do I want to be in front of clients, and then every Friday I have a reminder in my calendar around five o'clock. To, to go in and assess the next week of, hey, am I hitting these metrics? Do I need to move some things around? I went too heavy on this this week. I need to push some stuff back or cancel some appointments to make sure I do that. So it's 
not to be too overly structured, but at least again, knowing what that overarching objective is, without knowing it, I can't manage to it, right? And then I have to measure it to be able to manage to it. Love that. I have to say, so on the, uh, with this podcast, we have this little entry form uh, for those listening, you know, where, where we just, you know, rent people's brains for 10 seconds to get a couple answers to questions. And Andrew, as he was kind of going through the form, kind of blew our minds a little bit with his answer to the question, which is we're all renting out our brains in society. Kind of a really cool um, concept from somebody who's got a, a startup all about um, space and is it getting uh, rented in the right manner and, and so on. So so let me toss that to you, Andrew. So I have a concept with a, a friend of mine where we, we talk about content waste, which I think is a similar thing, but we're renting our brains too cheaply. Yeah, so I, I have a friend that's founded one of the biggest REITs in the country uh, and world and big venture capital investor in prop tech. And as COVID was hitting, he made this comment to me about, we've now created this entire generation that are gonna be perpetual renters, right? When they came out and hit their professional lives, you had the financial crisis hit. So they couldn't kind of dig out a debt and, and build wealth. And then you had COVID and a lot of people lost their jobs and, and it was kind of a mess. And he's like, these people aren't gonna be able to afford, as real estate prices skyrocket, they can't afford to buy, they can't enter, they're perpetual renters. And I looked around, and at the time, everybody was fixated. You know, Trump's in office for whichever way you look at it, but fixated on Twitter and CNN. And so you had COVID cases coming out, you had whatever tweet the president was putting out, everything. And people were just basically giving their mind to people who never met them or cared about them in any way. And what they kept for themselves was just the remnants. They, they weren't even renting it cheaply. They were just giving it away. And this idea of being a tenant that I'm, I'm begging for pieces of my mind back versus I'm a landlord. I own this and I decide who I'm going to let into my mind at, on what terms, for how long, and actually taking control of that uh, is just, it's something that, it, that really resonated with me. I ended up writing a book on it called Get Out of My Head um, that comes out June of 22, but kind of profiles former Navy SEALs, uh, Martin Luther King's daughter, the founder of DocuSign, some other people I talked to about this idea of mental tendency, mental ownership. So cool. Uh, what, an, what an interesting um, topic. So as a seg using that as a segue, a really cool segue, tell us, tell us about, I guess, your, your business model, what you're willing to sort of reveal. Um, really interesting concept, obviously, we live in a society where my neighbor's going to rent out his house for a ton of money for, for local football games here, right? Um, it's a fascinating different economy based on everybody renting everything all the time in a way. Yeah. And so we, we unlocked all these assets, right? The, the biggest asset people own, physical asset, you know, besides your mind, is going to be your property. And some people are lucky enough to have more than one home. And we're looking at it and the different, if, if you're renting a hotel room, which is effectively what hotels do, they don't set, this hotel room's $140 a night and they just let it run for weeks. That, that price is constantly changing, just like airlines. They're saying, I'm gonna rent you a seat on this flight. That price constantly fluctuates based on 
What is the actual demand? What is the supply? What other flights are on there? How, how can I maximize my revenue on this flight or for this hotel overall? And when we looked at the, the relatively nascent vacation rental industry, Airbnb industry, you see 90 plus percent of owners, uh, hosts, and even professional managers are not applying sophisticated pricing and revenue management tools. And as a result, they're leaving 30 plus percent of the money on the table. And this isn't always just push the rate up. The guests aren't always worse off. Sometimes it's, yeah, you're, home is worth $400 a night on a Saturday around New Year's, but it's worth $140 a night on a Tuesday in October. And so all these people that otherwise would love a vacation and love come to stay at that house uh, aren't because you're still listing it at $400 on that random Tuesday. And so sometimes it's lowering the price to make sure people who would come are able to do it. And sometimes it's raising and saying, hey, you're just leaving way too much money on the table. Sort of like, sort of like cats. Apparently, cats have an idea of ownership of a particular spot at a particular time on a particular day. Like they have this concept in their minds of like, oh, your lap is mine at 6.20 on a Tuesday. Okay. <laughs> but kind of an interesting, it's a different idea of what's rentable, what's what has a value, what is the value. Yeah, really interesting. Yeah, and, and that, that value is not static, right? I, back to kind of the ocean you can't control. If there are currents, there's the wind, there's the water. It's similar to the market you're in. It's especially with vacation rentals, right? Like a hotel, nobody's spinning up a hotel overnight. The hotel supply is what it is. But when you talk about vacation rentals and Airbnbs, anybody can say, hey, you know what? I'm going out of town. I'm going to put my home up next week. And it wasn't there before. So supply is dynamic. Demand is dynamic. And then you're having to react not just to that, but what your competitors in the market are doing to make sure you're positioning yourself as well as possible. So what Renda does is we provide pricing and revenue management solutions for those professional vacation rental managers and Airbnb managers. So you've created some form of automated method of calculating the ideal price for a particular place in a particular location. Is that one of the things you do? Dynamically. So it's, yeah, it's art, uh, our automated rate tools. So it's named after my grandfather who passed away right at the, the end of COVID in, in 2020 uh, as we we're bringing this to market. And so it's not saying this is the right price. It's saying this is the right price at this instant for this property. So based on who's searching, where they're searching, what they're searching for, this is the rate most likely to maximize your income on this property. Uh, and that, that price is gonna be different 30 days from now than three days from now. And 365 days from now, totally different as well. And so it's, it's constantly fluctuating based on what the booking window for that property is. If you have a six bedroom home, if you have a 12 bedroom home, you know you need a big group. Those homes are rarely booked the week before. You have to coordinate with too many people. So if you're not booked 90, 100 days out, that's a very different situation than if you have a little one bedroom studio apartment that you're trying to rent. That may only on average book two nights before. And so how you uh, adjust on that. And so that's everything that our, our data models take into account. So does that then connect with the, the booking page of your, of your client's site so it automatically updates the price 
when somebody searches. Correct. So we plug into their property management software layer, mm -hmm. and then that pushes to their website, pushes to Airbnb, to Booking.com, to Verbo, to any other sites they're distributing on. Right. So you've been launched for 12 to 18 months? Yes, for the art, and we just uh, just in the past month launched an entirely freemium version. So anyone can go to rented.com and access the data models, all the pricing, all the, the functionality entirely for free. It's only when you want to start pushing those rates to the site to start syncing them and keeping them live that you have to put in a credit card or pay or anything. Otherwise, it's, right. you can access everything okay, totally cool. for free. Very nice. So where's the future for Rented Inc.? Um, are you doing a funding raise? Are you going globally? Are you going to dominate the world? Yeah. I mean, at present, we are global, right? We have, I'm supposed to fly uh, next week out to Europe for the Vacation Rental World Summit. We have clients in South America and Europe and Asia. But it's, we just want to continue to do what is going to be most helpful and most effective for our clients. And so that is on pricing and revenue management right now, make those tools better, make them more effective. But we're because we're plugging in to where they generate their revenue, we also see where else there can be unlocks. And so our entire concept and my objective in the space is to take these fragmented local management companies and provide them scale as a service. So similar to what Amazon Web Services does of saying, hey, Amazon's managing servers on the scale, totally different than anyone else. What if we let other people access the scale that we have on a subscription basis? And so that's what we initially did with revenue management and with pricing and our data science team and our data science models for pricing and revenue management. But I think that same premise of, hey, we can build things centrally at scale that you just pay for what you eat as a local company because you don't need a full-time hire. You can't afford a full-time dev team, whatever it is, to build it out. I'm interested, um, if we take kind of Randy's question one more step, I love how you kind of answered that. And I'm intrigued always to talk to, to startup founders who put something of themselves into their company, or a whole lot of themselves, or in your case, art, named after your grandfather. Clearly, you are part of the business and you love it. You're incubating it, you're pushing it, you're accelerating it, you're, you're riding it. You're, you're swimming with it seven kilometers a day. What is your, a lot of founders are thinking about the exit. A lot of founders are thinking about the valuation and then kicking up their heels in the Bahamas. <laughs> What's your thought about business at that level? Like to, to create a company out of love, to create it out of love, to flip, to wait, all of that. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, there are a lot of people that have this, I'll be happy or I'll be successful when, if X happens, if I get this valuation or if I sell for this price. And the thing with humans and hedonic adaptation is maybe for a day or two or you know, a week or two or a year or two you are, but your happiness, your, your base level adapts and that just becomes normal and you revert back to your, your normal side. And so the Stoics and Taoism and Buddhism would come at it a different way of saying, hey, instead of I'm going to be happy when, it's saying I'm happy today. I, you can make someone rich not by adding to what they have, but by subtracting from their wants. You can um, be happy by just wanting less. And so I think looking at it instead of saying, hey, I, I'm going to have the life I really want once I can get this exit, once I can achieve X, is saying, 
for me, how do I build the life I want today? How do I live every day as the life I want? And that's part of going back to managing my calendar of how much do I want to put into work versus my family, versus sleeping, versus exercise. And so I'm not in a rush to get to any single line or destination because I've crafted my life to be happy today. Like I went and swam in the ocean this morning. I'm going to play with my daughter and hopefully swim with her tonight. You know, it's, I guess for me, it's not about chasing some phantom metric or destination. It's about what can I do every single day to, to make it enjoyable, make it, make sure I'm working on the problems that I enjoy working on and I'm best suited to, to solve. So one to follow that up. That's beautiful. I love uh, subtracting from the wants. That's a that's a that's a brilliant concept. How do you tie that back to the rolling on your back when the waters get tough? Because I think that's that's another big part of this, right? Yeah, I mean, because the reason the water's tough is you're fighting against something you can't control. The water is not tough. The water is what it is. Whether you're in it or not, the water is going to do what it's going to do. It's only difficult when you're trying to fight against it. And so by rolling on your back, you can reassess the situation of, hey, where do I need to go? What do I need to do? How do I work with what is actually happening now to get there? And I think that's, it's not like I'm this Zen master or anything, or I did this my entire life, but it, so much of my life, uh, oh, once I, every, when I was in college, Every semester, I would plan out the rest of my college career. I would always look at all the other courses I was going to take instead of just really enjoying the courses I was in that semester. Right? I had a very hard time living in the present, living in the now. And again, another mentor of mine right before my daughter was being born said, you have, you're really good at planning for the future and living in the future. You have a really hard time living in the present. Don't do that with your daughter. Be there actually there, full mind, full presence, every moment for her. And I, I think that reframing just changed how I looked at the whole thing of saying, wait, I'm not chasing this fundraising round or this exit. Like, let me be here right now. What, what do I do today? Hey, I don't enjoy doing this work. I'm not very good at it. Can I hire somebody to do it? Should we stop doing this as a company? What, what am I really good at? How do I spend more of my time on these things? Uh, and so it was instead of, again, fighting against the waves, fighting against the hurricane, saying, okay, what is the world as it is? How do I kind of craft a way to, to still work towards something and build something, but do it in a way that is responsive to what's happening as opposed to directly against it? We hear a lot about um, startup founders having to hustle and grind. It sounds to me like you've got that balance, which is really nice. But you have a 100% virtual team, 100% remote. What specific problems have you found with that? I know of some companies that have gone that way. Um, I was just wondering what your experience was. Yeah, I guess we were slightly lucky or not, I don't know, but we, we didn't start off virtual. We had years where we were all in one office and kind of like what Hemingway said with bankruptcy, if it happened slowly, then all at once it kind of slowly we started hiring people outside of the HQ until it was 80% of people weren't in the HQ. And so we kind of were adapting over time to a, a virtual operating model. Now, that being said, we do, I think there's just by the nature of online communication, not the in-person 
interaction. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding that ends up occurring in some communications. And so we have to be thoughtful on, hey, what are the right channels for communication? What is the right expectation for responsiveness? And really putting in cultural norms around that. The potential good thing, we very early on crafted our values and hire based on those. So back at McKinsey, we had, you had a kind of case studies. It would be about your analytical skills, your conceptual skills, your quantitative skills. But you also had experience interviews that were about how did you lead or act or react in different situations. So you had a, not theoretical, but take me through exact experiences. And so based on our values, we do interviews on experience interviews of, hey, if you were, give me a time you were in this specific kind of situation and take me through how you did it. So we have a, a very diverse team, not just geographically or male, female or you know, anything, but when it comes to core values, we value similar things. We value growth. We value the team over the individual. We're consistent on that. And I think that helps overcome a lot of things that would normally get in the way. Because you can always go back to say, hey, there was a misunderstanding there, but I think you're coming from a good place because I can see in this value where you're, you're leading from. Awesome. I think you've given us so much value in such a short time. This has been a blast. We like to keep our interviews pretty short. You were talking about uh, you've got this new freemium approach with rented.com. Is that where folks should find out more about you? Or should they be uh, pre-ordering your book here pretty soon? <laughs> what's what's the where do folks find out more about you? Yeah, the, so rented.com is by far the easiest, most memorable. Uh, I'm probably personally most active on LinkedIn. So Andrew McConnell on LinkedIn or M Andrew McConnell, and then Twitter M A McConnell, Instagram M Andrew McConnell, all all the grams and Twitters and things. But uh, I'm I'm online in innumerable ways. Yeah. Love that. And how much how much mind share have you given Twitter in total? <laughs> yeah, I, I, maybe it's my own experience. I, I use it much more as a communicating out. I, I don't follow a lot of people. I keep that highly curated back to, okay, who is it that I actually want to give mind share to? It's this very small group. And what portion of the day do I actually even give to that small curated group? So it's it doesn't get a ton of my time. I love that. So thank you for giving us uh, a little bit of your very well-curated time alongside the seven-kilometer swim in the ocean before the hurricane hits <laughs> and, and hanging out with your daughter on your backs floating in the ocean. So uh, really great to chat with you. It was great speaking with both of you all. Thanks, Kent. Thanks, Randy. Thank you, Andrew. We loved hearing... The swim just blew me away, and you're planning to go swimming again tonight before the hurricane hits. I think that's, you're a crazy dude. That's amazing. What I love is that you rolled with us on this, and just, you know, we're so beautifully able to tie the swimming uh, and your, your balance in your family life and all of that. Just tie it all seamlessly together with, with your startup and with philosophy and... Um, honestly, with your just sort of chill personality. So I will think probably for the rest of my life and career about that rolling onto my back. Uh, I think that's a, such a beautiful, beautiful analogy for life uh, and challenge. And the sea will be the sea. 
right? So mm. roll on your back and reassess. The sea is going to do what the sea is going to do. I think that is philosophically a, a gem. I love that. Now, if you want to see how you can leverage the sea, is that <laughs> taking the analogy too far? Just, just go to Thought Partner Group, fill out the assessment, We'll take a look at it and send a, a, a quick email back to you and maybe we're able to help you to do something great. I was, I, I mean, I was sitting on this the whole episode. I'm, I'm happy I didn't actually say it in front of Andrew because it's sort of embarrassing. But, uh, you know, this this conversation was truly, um, it's like we were all sitting in the C-suite. Oh, nice. The corn. You like that one? So... Yeah. <laughs> If, so that reminds me, if people <laughs> want to, if people have their own business or are thinking about their own business and want to work out how to be like somebody in the C-suite, maybe crazymba.com is something I want to look at. Could be. That's it. Take a look. Get paddling. Get paddling.